he loved us so much that when sin had messed everything up, beyond what most of us would have ever thought, God had a plan already. Because God is relentless in his pursuit to have a relationship with us so that we can know him. And one of the things God wants for us to have is that he wants us to have a place of rest, a place where in this rat race called life that we live in down here, with all of this being tossed to and fro and with all this unbelievable amount of information coming from everywhere in this modern age, even in all this confusion, there's a place God's got for you that he has promised where you can find rest. And I want to talk to us about that this morning for a little while. So I'm excited about this word, and I want to hope you join me in the word today. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. The book of Hebrews, chapter 3. And I want to talk to us about God's promised rest. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that there's times and there's places where God leads you. And in the midst of all the things around you, the circumstances that are going on, the storms that can be blowing, and the consequences that this world can put you in, that there's a place where God can provide rest. And I want to talk to us about that this morning for a little while. And I want us to read from the Word of God, started in Hebrews chapter 3. The book of Hebrews was written to some Jewish believers who had come to embrace Christ, but they were beginning to have second thoughts, and some were beginning to fall away from Jesus and possibly go back to religion and Judaism. And The writer of Hebrews is writing to believers, people who have made a commitment to Christ, who are saved. You'll see that in the first verse of chapter 3. Listen what he says. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. I don't know about y'all, but that's us. Amen? We are the holy brethren, the holy brothers and sisters in Christ. How did we get that way? We are partakers of the heavenly calling. We heard God call us through the gospel by his son, and we've come to know him. And look at what that first verse says. So I want you to know he's not talking to lost people here who've lost their way and lost their rest. He's talking to saved people. And he says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Have you confessed Christ as your Savior? That's you, Christ Jesus. And look at what he says when you look down in verse 6. He said, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. That's us. We are the house of God. He's over us. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. And then I want you to pick up right here. This comes from Psalm 95. It's a quote. And it's telling the story of the Old Testament Israelites who God delivered, who he called, he was going to bring into the promised land, the place of rest. And he's telling them their situation here, how they failed. He says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. That was in the wilderness. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. And here it is. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Here it is again. Beware, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. 
but exhort one another daily why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened for the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is the enemy of God's place of rest in your life. It, it will rob you of everything God has to give you here on earth while you wait to go to heaven. And he says, so today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was God angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. And I want you to focus on this verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, that's where we get the title, the promised rest of God, God's rest. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. I don't know about you, but that tells me, my friend, that you can be saved and you can allow sin to get into your life to the point you begin to doubt God, that the unbelief can overwhelm you till you can't trust God and it can cost you the blessings of God, his promised rest. That's what happened to Israel. And so he's telling us, I don't know about y'all, but everyone needs rest, amen? Man, I, sometimes when I get home, I need to get in that recliner. How about you? Physical rest. If you went too long and you never got in the bed and took a nap, your body would give out. The body has to have rest. Emotional rest. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but if all you do is receive and get information and think and think and think, sooner or later the mind needs to rest. Amen? And I thank God for emotional rest, but guys, I want you to understand something. God created us to where we also need spiritual rest. And I believe the place that God has for us, the place where God will lead you if you follow Jesus, will lead you to a place where not only will you have physical rest, emotional rest, but you'll find spiritual rest in your soul. I want you to look at this verse. He says right there, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, he's not talking about heaven, he's talking about here. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. You know, when I look around at the average Christian, we're running to and fro like everybody else. We're as confused as the world. We're out of place. We're, we're restless. We're as worried. We're as anxious. We are as far from rest as somebody who doesn't even know Jesus sometimes. So I want to encourage you today that Jesus promised us rest. As a matter of fact, look what Jesus said. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and who are laboring or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Primarily talking about salvation in that first verse. Friends, he was speaking to Jews who were trying to find righteousness and a relationship with God through the works of the law and a very hard and difficult religious system of works and performance. And he's telling them, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll save you. He says, but then you got to take my yoke upon you and you learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Today, if you're lost and you're in sin, and you know your condemnation is upon you, and that hell awaits you because you've never been saved and forgiven, come into Jesus, my friend. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. But guys, it doesn't stop there. It starts there. And then he wants you to take his yoke upon you. He, he wants you to take 
his life and his truth, his teachings, and learn from him. And compared to religion, Jesus is so much better. He's so gentle and he's so lowly of heart that he will help you to find rest for your soul. So why don't a bunch of us have that? I want to talk to us this morning about that. God's rest. What is God's rest? Well, everybody here, I want you to know God wants you to experience his rest. As best I can see from studying and what I see from the scriptures, from the Old Testament and New Testament, God's rest is the participation and enjoyment of the blessings he has planned for you if you belong to him. You see, God didn't just intend for you to come to Jesus, get saved, and leave you there. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a place for you where he wants to lead you to where you can participate and enjoy all the blessings that he has planned for us. And friends, listen to this. Those who hear God's word and follow him enter his rest. You see, you've got to do more than just believe in Jesus, my friend. In Baptist, boy, we, like to, well, we don't believe in works. We believe in grace. It's all faith. It is faith, but faith without works is dead, my friend. It's not going to change your life. True faith is going to produce actions in your life that are going to show fruits of repentance, which is turning from where God found you and going toward the place where he wants to bring you, where he wants to lead you. And friends, those who here take on the yoke of Jesus and they allow Jesus to lead them. They walk beside Jesus and Jesus walks with them and they learn his ways and he teaches us how we can have rest in our soul. And friends, I want you to think about this. The biblical examples of God's rest, that's what he's talking about. The Old Testament example is the promised land. Canaan, the land of milk and honey. God, before he even sent Moses to Egypt to set his people free, already knew that the land of Canaan was where he was going to lead his people. The land of milk and honey, that literally means the land of abundance. The land where they were going to find everything they needed. God said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. And you're going to live in the land of milk and honey. Guys, it's the same thing today. The land of milk and honey, the abundant land of Israel where they were supposed to destined to go. Today in the New Testament, it's the abundant life in Christ. The abundant life in Christ is more than getting saved, going to church on Sunday, and just trying to get by. The abundant life in Christ is more than coming to church and the only thing different really in our life during the week is that we went to church and everybody else didn't. If we get saved, God expects things to do in our life that is going to change us. And I want you to think about this as we look at this this morning. The Bible says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering this rest. So God wants us to rest. Just in chapter 4 alone, I'm going to pick out these verses. And the whole theme of chapter 3 and chapter 4 is these Hebrew believers who are beginning to doubt in Christ. They're beginning to not really believe the gospel anymore. And some of them are even contemplating going back to Judaism. And he's telling them, Jesus is better than Moses. His house is better than Moses' house. And those of you who are holy brethren, the partakers of this heavenly calling, 
who made the confession in Christ Jesus. God has a place of rest for you now just like he did for them, Israel then. Look at what he says in that next verse. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As God has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He's talking about Israel. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What he's saying there, the works were finished. God had already accomplished and had everything done and ready for Israel to enter the promised land. And we had to believe God and trust him enough to go. And friends, God's got so many promises for us beyond what we experience. Look, that's verses 1 and 3. Look at this one, a couple verses down in verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Friends, I want you to understand my something. In the midst of this turmoil and all this life that you see every day on the news and all the chaos and all of the ungodliness, all of the unfaithfulness of leaders and the, the failure of government, everything that you look at that has nothing to make you feel restful. God can give you rest. <laughs> in Jesus, look at what he says. Because there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, two verses down, he says again, let us, who us, the people of God, therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Friends, you're not going to find that rest by casually living up easy beliefism, go to church on Sunday, and then just be like everybody else's life. It's not going to happen by religion. It's going to happen by a commitment to personally being in a relationship with Jesus to where Jesus gets to do in your life what he wants you to do. The Bible says, how can two be in agreement if they not walk together? How can two be in agreement if they not walk together? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Friends, if the yoke of Jesus hasn't attached you to Christ, to where, where Christ is going, that's where you're going. And where you're going, Jesus has got you walking with him side by side. You are not in agreement with Jesus for your life. And friends, listen, his burden is easy compared to religion. And friends, what he's saying is, let us therefore be diligent. Why is it so important that we be diligent? I want you to think about this. Four blessings of God's promised rest. This is why it's worth being diligent. This is why it's worth looking for. When God was going to lead them to the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the, the abundant land of provision. If you noticed, he went and he delivered them, and as he led them, he led them by what? A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He made his presence noticeable in their life. And as God began to lead them, wherever he went, whatever they needed, it was obvious that his presence was with them to provide for them. As he took them out of Egypt, he parted the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. They went through the Red Sea, and here come Pharaoh and their army after him. So what did he do? He shut the Red Sea, and he protected them, the undeniable protection of God. And friends, I don't know about you, but when you are where God wants you to be, where God's getting to lead you, where Jesus is teaching you, and you're learning his things, and he's got you yoked, and he's leading your life, you're going to have a, it's going to, we, we like to say as preachers, the manifested presence of God. What does that mean, the manifested presence? It means it's noticeable. It means, man, God's been here. He's with us. He's in our home. He's in our family. He's in our church. Friends, listen, 
That's where God wants to lead us, to where there is a noticeable presence. That's where you're going to find his obvious provision, and there's going to be the undeniable protection. I don't know about you, but in my life, in my ministry, I can just, I'm amazed at the times God has protected me and Diane in ways that I can't deny it had to be something, intervention beyond luck, beyond chance. There had to be something watching over us that even when we wasn't always doing what we should have done, he was protecting us. Do you know what I'm talking about? And friends, when you find that place of rest where his presence is, where his provision is, where his, there's an unexplainable peace. It's, it's, it's beyond the peace, beyond understanding, Paul called it. That's what God wants to do in every one of our lives. But you've got to do more than just believe. You've got to obey. Disobedience always robs us of the rest that God has for him. And that's what happened to Israel. They did not follow God because they would not believe God. And because they did not believe God, they couldn't trust God. And so when God brought them to the promised land, he took them through the, the, through the parting of the Red Sea. He brought them out there. They said, we're hungry. He gave them manna from heaven. We're thirsty. He made water come from a rock. Miracle after miracle. And the Bible tells us in Corinthians chapter 10 that that rock that watered them and that food that fed them was Christ. But when they get to the place, they send them out, and it's just like God said. It's the land of milk and honey, but they come back. Oh, no, but there's a few things there. There's some giants, and there's some fortified cities. Out of all the 12 spies that went, two, two, Caleb and Joshua said, let's go take it. It's ours. God's going to give it to us. But 10, they listened to the majority. It was the first Baptist business meeting they ever had. <laughs> no, we can't do it. Oh, God, why did you take us out of Egypt to lead us out here in this wilderness and kill us so that our little ones would die? It made God mad. It made God angry. You know why? Because they didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They didn't listen to what God had to say. So, guys, I want you to see what happened. It says right there in verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. God looked at them not willing to go and trust him to go into the promised land as rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Friends, they had seen miracles. They had seen God's presence. They had seen his provision. They had experienced his protection, but they wasn't able to experience his peace, and so they didn't get to go into the land of rest. And friends, listen, why is it so important? I don't know about you, it's important to be diligent, because that's the life I want to live on earth. How about you? Rest in the Lord, he says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. We need to make effort, we need to focus on it. Why? Because if you don't enter into the rest, listen to what he says. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What example of disobedience? The example of Israel. I want you to see this right here. In Hebrews 3, 8 through 11, that's a direct quote from 
the Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is talking exactly about Israel's wilderness experience that God cursed them with because they would not go into the promised land and trust God. So God was angry because his chosen people did not know his ways. They didn't know God well enough to trust God. And friends, I'm here to tell you, we must avoid this example with everything we've got. Let me show you why. Look at what it says in verse 10. In verse 10 of chapter 3, God says, Therefore I was angry with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. See, we don't think it's a big concern to go astray, to wander, to do whatever we want, to not really let God have leadership over our life. We just think we can do what we want, go where we want, and it'll all work out good in the end. You can do that and be saved and go to heaven, but you won't experience the life that God has to give you now. Because listen to what he says. And they have not known my ways. God said, because they had not known my ways, they went astray in their heart. And because they went astray in their heart, they didn't know my ways. He said, even though I had tested them, even though they had tried me, even though they had sold my works, they could not enter the land of rest because they could not believe me enough to trust me. That's why he's talking about in verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be any of you also with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It says, for who having heard rebelled? Israel. That's the example he's talking about. And so guys, I want you to think about this with me. Biblically, and this is where we're going to preach for the rest of the, this is what I want to get to. Biblically, God's ways with his chosen people, those of us who are saved, include three stages in our relationship. And you can see it plainly in the life of Israel, and you can see it plainly in your life if you're saved. The first one is deliverance. The second one is development, and the other one is destiny. You see, God has a destiny for you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose. He didn't just deliver you from sin and from the devil to stay where you are. And so what does he have to do? He has to develop you. He has to teach you. He wants to show you. Friends, listen. When God came into the life of Israel, when he sent Moses, he went with Moses. Can I get an Amen. And Moses showed up. What did Moses tell Pharaoh? Let my people go. Pharaoh is a picture of the devil. He said, I ain't letting them go. And Moses said, you better let my people go. Why should I let my people go? Because God, who is God? The great I am. And so Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. Why? Because they were the Egyptian slaves. And just like we were slaves to the world and to the devil, they were slaves to the Egyptians. So God delivered him. What did he do? He sent 10 plagues, my friend. He did it in a way to where he destroyed every god of, it, of Egypt, if you study it. Every one of those plagues was not just a random choice of plague. Each plague smote and overcame the Egyptian gods. And so every god they had, because they had multiple gods, but you know what? You can have all the gods you can invent. But if it ain't the real God, they won't win. You don't need but one God when it's the God. <laughs> and they had the God. And their God showed up in Moses. And so after that last plague, when God killed their firstborn, but because he took the sacrifice of a lamb and put the blood over the door of Israel, which is a picture of the cross, all their firstborn lived. Pharaoh finally got broke and said, let them go. Get out of here. Go. And they left. 
Pharaoh changed his mind. You ever know the devil? You can't trust him. Couldn't trust Pharaoh. And so they're out and they're leaving. They get into the sea. I want you to think about this. God, when he delivers you, he delivers you for once and for all. And so what happens? Pharaoh's coming. He's got the army of Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. What did Moses say? He said, don't worry. Just sit back and watch, and you will see the salvation of God. He stuck a staff in the water. The wind blew. It parted the sea. They walked through on dry land. They get to the other side. Here comes Pharaoh. Oh, no, he's going to come get us. No, he ain't. God destroyed that enemy. So then they're out in the wilderness, and they're on their way to the promised land. Man, you know how many people they had? They was hungry. God sent manna. Can you imagine just getting up in the morning? Man, you get up, and God says, it's out there. Just get enough for your family each day. You just walked out, and you picked it up. I don't know what it was like, but man, I, I, I could imagine it was good if it came from heaven. And so he gave them manna. He fed thousands, a half a million people. Then they got thirsty. So what did he do? He made a rock out in the middle of a desert. And if you've ever been down there to that wilderness, it's unbelievable how dry and how arid it is. He made water flow enough for all of them to get a drink. What's he doing? He's delivered them just like God delivered us. You see, my friend, deliverance is when God set them free from the Egyptian bondage and from the rule of Pharaoh, just like when he saved us in Christ and set us free and delivered us. But God's involvement in our life doesn't end once he delivers us. In fact, that's only the beginning stage of his involvement in our life. Now what's he want to do? Well, now he's going to develop you. That's what he's doing them. You see, development is how God brings us into a deeper relationship with him. And you know how he does it? If you're serious about Jesus, there's going to be trials. There's going to be tests coming into your life that test your faith. Adrian Rogers says, a faith that's never been tested cannot be trusted. And so he's going to prove, he's going to, he's going to take that faith and he's going to hone it. He's going to strengthen it. He's going to put it in the fire of the, 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 the and, and like gold, he's going to put it in that furnace and he's going to make it more pure and he's going to make it more genuine and he's going to prove that faith real in your life. Why? So that you can trust him for more. And friends, what did he do Israel? He brought them out there. He showed them how he could part the Red Sea. He had already delivered them. He showed them how he could feed them with manna. He showed them unbelievable miracles. Then he shows them the promised land. It was exactly the way he told them it would be. But what did they say? Oh, no. We're not going to trust God for that. You know why? Because they had failed in their development. If we are serious about knowing God's ways, a divinely ordained trial is going to come and show up in your life very soon and test you. How many of you knows what I'm talking about? And friends, listen. Henry Blackaby and his experiencing God, y'all remember that? That's an awesome old Bible study. He calls it a crisis of belief. What God will allow to happen into your life if you're serious about experiencing God and really letting God lead your life, he lets things come into your life that causes you to have to test to see what you really believe about him. 
Henry Blackaby calls it a crisis of belief. You have to choose. You can't just sit in the pew and be neutral. And you have to say, is God really able to do this? Is God really in this? And God makes you trust him. And that's what they were not willing to do. They were so unwilling to trust God for the promised land that they wanted to go back to Egypt. Have you figured out yet there is no going back if you got saved to the world? There is no going back because we've been delivered. You're in the development stage. So what did he do? He put them in the wilderness. The wilderness is the place of development, my friend. The wilderness is where God tests you and tries you to show you what he can do. And so I want you to think about this. There is no development without these experiences. Most of the Israelites failed in the development stage because they couldn't trust God. So what did God do? Let me read to you from the book of Numbers, from the testimony of God's word. God told Israel, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and the miracles that I performed in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it and enter my rest. Friends, you, you, you don't trust God? You don't believe God? You say, well, we trust God. You know what you, why you, some of you can't tithe and honor God with your increase? Because you trust 10% of your income more than you trust the God of heaven. You believe in your heart that 10% of what God allowed you to make this week can bless you and provide for you and do for you more than God. You see, tithing ain't an act of obedience. Tithing is an act of belief and trust in God. And I'm not here to preach on money, but that's a good example of what I'm talking about. You know why some of us won't make commitments to the Lord? Because commitments to the Lord involve trusting him to help us with those commitments. And friends, God is in the place of developing us. Why? Most of the Israelites failed because they couldn't trust God because he had a destiny. And friends, listen, destiny, this is where God wants us to wind up. God didn't just save us. When you hear the story of someone who's been saved for 20 years and you ask them, well, what's God been doing in your life? Share your testimony, and this is your testimony. And they might be 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Well, when I was 12, I walked the aisle. And I talked to the preacher, and I got baptized. And I go to church on Sunday. you think that's what God's destiny is for a person's life that he bought with the blood of Christ that he put his spirit in guys he has a much better plan than that see he has a plan where he wants to lead you to a place to a church not just a church a specific church a church where he wants you to be a church where he can use you a church where he will allow you to serve him he wants to bring you into ministry he wants to grow you he wants to lead you to a place where you'll experience his rest, just like the land of milk and honey. 
the abundant life that is in Christ. And friends, I want you to think about this. There is no greater destination on this earth than the place God wants to lead you. <laughs> Everything else will fall short in its ability to satisfy you, to fulfill you, and to provide you with rest. I promise I've tried it all. From shooting dope into my arm, to drinking, to trying every hobby, doing everything this world offers someone, and it don't matter if you say, well, you ain't rich. No, I ain't, but I look at them rich people, them famous people, them millionaire people. They, they are miserable, because you know why? They don't have God. You look at these superstars and all these athletes and all of the things that you think they would have to make them have what we're talking about this morning. Peace, provision, protection. And they're killing themselves every time you turn around on the news. And you say, how, why would they do that? Friends, I'm here to tell you that God has a destiny that he will lead us to. Think about this. The place in life God wants you to be is your inheritance if you're a child of God. You know, right now, sometimes I have to admit, I'm like, Lord, where's the protection now? They after us. People's doing stuff. They're trying to ruin our ministry. There's people that, and, and sometimes I'm like, Lord, I, I need a little provision here. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Since I got saved, I cannot complain about God's faithfulness to be in my life and in everybody's life that I see who are willing to follow him and provide for them, take care of them. Jesus said this. Jesus said, he said, seek the kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What things? All the things that the Gentiles, the lost people are after. What are those things? Food, shelter, clothing. And I don't know about you, but now Diane ain't worked in a long, long time. We make less money than we ever made when we was lost, and we got more than we ever had. <laughs> because God takes it, and he provides. And I'm not bragging on us. I'm bragging on God because I'm selfish. I want to buy live scopes, and I like bigger boats, and I want a new truck. But you know what I've come to find out? If you just accept what God's provided you with and be content with it and praise God for it, He'll give you something you never even thought to ask for because that's how good he is. But you know how you get it? By learning to trust him for it and by learning to wait on him for it and letting him lead you into it. And friends, we are the most impatient people on the face of the earth. That's a bunch of Americans. We want fast food. We want quick internet. We want everything right away. Five minutes ago is way too long. Just joked with... <laughs> Brother Garland, when he come in, I said, what you doing waiting on Miss Ann? He said, I said, that's what we do. We get married, we wait on our wives. You know what our wives say? Yeah, you know what they're waiting on for us to find their stuff and tell them what they forgot. <laughs> Everything y'all lose. But you know what? The reality of truth is once you get saved, really a lot of it is waiting on God. Not getting ahead of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not leaning on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledging him and then he will direct your path. And you know where you'll find out the end of that path is? The destiny is rest. 
a place where his presence is with you, where his provision is with you, where his protection is with you, where his peace is in your heart. You say, how does it get there? How does it start? It all starts with coming to Jesus. See, the beginning of it is Jesus said, come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden. I don't know about y'all, but I labor way too much. I'm much far too heavy laden and I ought to be saved. A pastor, with all the things God showed me and taught me, this sermon showed me, Lord Jesus, I sure don't have rest like I should. Holy Spirit said, amen. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to you, for you, amen. I'm with you. But guys, listen, ever since the day I got saved, I can honestly say God's been with me. How about you? There's a, there, there is an obvious presence of God in our life, a noticeable presence. He's provided. I already told you, we got more now than we ever had when we was lost. And his protection has been with us. You know, this coming is Memorial Day next, no, two, Sunday, two Sundays from now is Memorial Day. You know, that's one year since I had my colon um, surgery. And you know, last year at this time, you know where I was at? Where are you at, God? Why is this happening to me? Oh, no. Oh, y'all ever done that? Be honest. Y'all too spiritual to admit that? I was doubting God. God, I can't afford this. Look, you know what? It's one year in. I owe a few bills, but they're manageable. But guess what? I've been healed. God provided. They took a foot of my colon out, and I'm going to tell you what, I eat what I want. That probably ain't good. Pretty much do what I want. See, God's faithful, friend. He's going to provide for you. He's provided for us over and over. And then the other thing, though, is it's more than just believing, though. You see, you got to take the yoke upon you and learn from me. Who's yoke? Jesus' yoke. And I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus walking and leading your life? He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Who likes a yoke? Be honest. Jesus used that. Everyone understood what a yoke was. And from what I understand, I studied a little bit this week, and I looked at, up stuff in the Old Testament. Most of them, when they plowed, they had a, a two-holer. That was the most common yoke. And you know when they were trying to train a young oxen, do you know what they would do? They wouldn't start out with two young, dumb oxen that was uneducated, that didn't understand the ways of plowing. They took that young oxen and they yoked him to an old oxen. You know why that old oxen was wise? That old oxen understood what they wanted them to do. And that old ox could train that young ox to become the ox they designed him to be. Does anyone hear what I'm saying? Until you allow yourself to be yoked to Jesus and you get yourself under his teaching and you allow his life to teach you, you're never going to have the rest that he wants to give you in your soul. You know what I've come to find? When I pull my head out of the yoke and say, Lord, I got this. I don't want to go that way. I don't want to do that anymore. I like this plan. I like my plan, Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Try her out, boy. <laughs> and I haven't yet 
got to a place on my own where I said, Jesus, that was wrong. I'm sorry. That wasn't what I thought it was going to be. That didn't lead me where I thought I was going to go. That didn't give me what I thought I was going to get. Jesus, it was much better when I was yoked to you. I was much more happier. I had much better provision. And Lord, it was a lot better when you was protecting me. Lord, out there, I done got in trouble. You know what? Every time when I cry out, he comes back. When you repent, you know what repentance is? Repentance is turning from your will and the world system and seeking after what you want, and it's yoking back up with Jesus and saying, here I am, Lord. Lead me. I want to walk with you. And he's gentle and he's lowly in heart. He's much easier than any other master I've ever found. And I don't know about y'all, I'd rather plow with Jesus than anything else the world has to offer. Because it's when you plow with Jesus that you bear a bountiful fruit that is eternal, that makes a difference. So today, I'm just wanting to share with you what God's been showing me. Marvin, you can do ministry your way, or you can get back over here and get yoked up and do ministry my way. You can live your life how you want to, or you can live my life the way you want to. And you know what I found? The more I'm yoked to Jesus, the more I find this rest. The more I recognize his noticeable presence. When I'm yoked to Jesus and I'm truly living the way God wants me to live and I'm letting him be the Lord of my life and I'm letting him disciple me, I notice an obvious provision from God. He does things just... Do you know he blessed us with the IRS this year? You know what else he's blessed us with? The insurance company gave us money back. See, God can bless you from places you don't expect to get blessed. And friends, not only does he provide in ways you don't really think, but he protects us. And I don't know about you, but I got to go down there to them places you go around here just like everybody else. I was just telling my friend Jeff, this is one of my old-time friends. We've been knowing each other for years. He told me where he was staying. Yeah, we got a pretty nice motel. I said, be careful around there. Them people get shot down there in Shreveport, amen? But you know what? I go pump my gas on Pines Road. The other day I was down there. There was a fight went out. There was a man and a lady. I, they almost came to blows. They was using such language. I got the door and I put it right there. And I said, well, that ain't going to stop you. I done had my gas pumping. I'm pumping my gas. I got to get out of here. I mean, they was having it out. But you know what? I never was really worried because I said, Lord, you got me. And Lord, if you let them shoot me and take me home, that's your will. If, we're doing, if we where God wants us to be, and so I prayed for them, and I got spiritual. Lord, help them. Help them change their heart. Help them to love one another. Lord, come into their life. Obviously, they don't know you. I'm driving down the road. I'm feeling good about it. You know what God said? Why didn't you go give them a track? You had a whole truck full of them. <laughs> but that's what God would like us to do. But you know what I find? When I am yoked to Jesus... And Jesus' life is leading my life. Not only do I have his noticeable presence, not only do I have his obvious prediction, protection, not only do I have an undeniable provision, but I have the greatest one of all, an unexplainable peace. CNN don't worry me. I don't like it. It makes me mad. It makes me get in sin. I have to ask God to forgive me for being angry. But it don't worry me. You know why? Our hope ain't here. Our hope is where we're going. And in Jesus, if he
he can give you rest here, can you imagine what heaven must be like? And you know the greatest thing about heaven? Everything I just described, his presence, his perfect provision, will be protected forever. There'll be no more sin. And can you imagine the peace that there's going to be in that place called heaven? And if he can make me able to go to heaven, certainly he can take care of us here now. So this morning, I just want to tell you, if you're not yoked up to Jesus this morning, repent. Admit it. Recommit to Christ. He has a destiny for your life. And if you are not saved this morning, I would come to Jesus. If you come forward, you're not coming to me. You're not coming to this church. You're coming to Christ. You come forward, I'm going to tell you, amen. We're going to say a prayer. I'm going to sit you right there. I'm going to take the Bible just to show you, not because that's not what, but to make sure you understand what the gospel is. And if you mean business with Jesus and you come to Christ, Christ is going to save you, my friend. If you'll confess your sins, you're willing to turn to Christ, he will say, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'm going to ask you to do that if you need to be saved. But I'm going to tell you what, in a room this big, I guarantee you there's a lot of us that didn't have rest this week. Maybe you ain't had rest in I don't know how long. And you got things in your life and you're saying, Lord, I wish you'd move them. I wish you'd take them out of my life. I wish you'd get this person out of my life. You know what I've come to find? Everything in your life is allowed by God. And you know what they're allowed for? To test you. To show you what you really believe about him. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. What are we going to sing, Brother Jonathan? I surrender all. And if you need to come today, I'm going to ask you to come. And come and put the yoke of Jesus over your life. If you're saved, praise the Lord. But if you're lost today, I'm going to ask you to trust Christ and come and give your heart to him.